You are listening. You are listening. You're listening to Do Not to Not Elsewhere. Not Elsewhere. Elsewhere. Elsewhere Classified. Welcome to Not Elsewhere Classified, a podcast about the medical coding, health information technology, and clinical documentation improvement community. I'm your host, Brian Kui. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Not Elsewhere Classified podcast. I hope everybody is staying safe, especially with some states slowly opening up. Of course, we all want to make sure that we are wearing our masks, uh, social distancing, washing our hands, and just being very careful. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. Please make sure to check out our podcast on many platforms, including Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Anchor.fm, Spotify, and also iHeartRadio. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and a review. It definitely helps the podcast get noticed. I also wanted to give an opportunity to promote our partners. You can check out a list of our partners by going to medicalcodinggeek.com slash partners. Our partners include the Haugen Consulting Group, Project Resume, RadRx, and so much more. But specifically today, this podcast is brought to you by the Haugen Consulting Group. You can go to their website, thehaugengroup.com, and check out the services and their webinars that they offer. For our listeners, and also for those that are part of our Medical Coding Geeks group, you can go and shop there and use our special promotion code, GEEK15, that's geek one five and get a special discount of 15% on their services and products. So today on the podcast, we have Deanna Upston, one of the consultants from the Haugen Consulting Group. In this podcast, we talk about her start in medical assisting and finding her first job in medical coding through a newspaper and sending her resume through a fax machine. That part of the conversation was enjoyable to to talk about. We also talk about her start in general surgeon coding, moving on to pediatric ENT, and then her transition into the Haugen Consulting Group. We also talk a little bit on her experience in public speaking in preparation to interview for a job position. So without further ado, here is my interview with Deanna Upston. Enjoy. everybody. Welcome to the Not Elsewhere Classified podcast. Today on the podcast, I have Deanna Upston. Deanna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. We were just connected <laughs> yesterday. I think it was yesterday or maybe two days ago. Um, by the way, this uh, this podcast is brought to you by the Halligan Consulting Group. Uh, I work with um, your marketing uh, guru, uh, Kate. Uh, she does. A, I work with her a lot in terms of uh, marketing the Halgen Consulting Group, and uh, she reached out to me uh, a while back uh, to get some of you on uh, the from the Halgen Consulting Group into the podcast. Now, I previously interviewed Mary Beth, Mary Beth Halgen, of course, uh, Christy Pollard. That's how I say her last name because every time I say her last name, I always kind of get it 
wrong or she last time she corrected me if you listen to her podcast episode i got it wrong and i kept it in there (laughs) 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 so i think i'm for some reason i'm kind of cursed every time i'm like wait is it christy pollard or pollard pollard all right so yes so we had her on and now we have you on so again thank you again um we initially had somebody on but then last minute you came on and I'm like, okay, well, that's great. And regardless, it's always nice to have somebody uh, from the Haugen Consulting Group on our podcast. And there's no really connection. We just kind of met the other day on LinkedIn I, uh, and you were asking me about the podcast and you'd never been on a podcast. So for those that are listening that are wondering, well, what does it feel like to be on a podcast? Maybe afterwards you can... <laughs> You can give me your feedback um, <laughs> after all of this is done. Usually, when I when I interview people that had never done it before, uh, I remember it was uh, Melissa Freeman. Melissa Freeman. We went on for two hours, by the way. It was a really long form podcast, and uh, she was drained because she never knew that she could expel out that much information in such a in such a long time. So. Uh, I'm very curious to, to hear. Usually it's it's a fun conversation, so uh, this should be good. All right, so let's start off with the first question. First question of the day is, uh, Deanna, where did you come from? And where did you get to? How did you how did you get to where you're at today? So, well, it is actually kind of a cool story, I think. It's very, um, it's kind of amazing to me how things worked out. But out of high school... Um, I went to college and, you know, I did a year of college and I was like, this isn't really working for me. Like I was ready to, um, start working. I wanted a job. I wanted to be independent. It just felt like an extension of high school. And I thought, what could I do? Um, and that's when I kind of found out about a medical assisting program. Um, and so we have, you know, you know, our technical college, and it was a year-long medical assisting program, so that's what I went for. And um, part of the medical assisting training, they did kind of show you what ICD-9 codes at that time were, and I, or CPT codes, and a little bit of billing, a little bit of revenue cycle. And then uh, um, they transferred us, and then I learned all of the you know, hands-on medical stuff. Like we called it the back office stuff, uh, you know, venipunctures, phlebotomy, injections, cultures, vitals, you name it. Um, all that kind of hands-on stuff. Um, and that's the part I liked better. So um, I got really lucky after that program, I had to do an internship while I was interning at that. It was a primary care center. They, Uh, One of their medical assistants left and they had, so I just stayed on and very lucky. And um, again, I was in the back office. So I was hands-on assisting the providers, working with the providers, you know, helping with procedures and, um, you know, other administrative things, but um, just mostly the the hands-on stuff. Um, And then um, eventually I was there for four or five years or so and then um i moved and i was kind of looking for a different job and i got hired on to a uh, surgeon's office um two surgeons small practice private practice 
and they hired me to, you know, help assist them in the office in the back, you know, helping with dressing changes and procedures that they could do in the office. But they were very often at the hospital uh, operating, of course. And during that time, I kind of helped around doing administrative stuff. And one of the things I started doing was coding their surgeries, scheduling surgeries, getting prior offs, doing revenue cycle for them, working denials. And I started to get where I liked that so much better than anything else I was doing. And I'm like, this is really cool. This is interesting. And I remember coming home one day thinking, huh, I wish there was a job where you could just code surgeries all day. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. I had no idea that it was a thing. And so I just, I was, um, you know, that would be my favorite part of the day. So unbelievably, I was looking in the newspaper, newspaper, not online. This was before online. It was a newspaper. I was looking at the like job postings in the newspaper and I don't even know what I was looking for exactly or why I was looking. And I saw a little tiny newspaper ad that said medical coder, uh, needed CPT and ICD-9 um, and to fax your resume in. And I was <laughs> literally stupefied. I'm like, what? Is this what I think it is? I had to, I, so I'm like, I'm going to go for it. I don't know what this is. I'm going to try it. So I kind of dressed up my resume, faxed it in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was a long time ago. Uh, they call, yeah, and they called me like pretty quickly, and I had to go in and take a coding test for them. And again, I'm not coding certified. I had not, you know, I had a little bit of training in um, medical assisting school, and then a little bit of the coding I did at the surgeon's office. And I, so I take this coding test. Apparently, I knew enough to get through it, and I passed. Um, so they hired me, and it was actually um, a company that did all the coding and billing for all the providers at the School of Medicine in Colorado. And their opening was pediatric otolaryngology. Um, and they were like, you have the surgical experience, you're gonna be fine. And I took the job, and I still couldn't believe my luck. I was actually sat in the hospital down the hall from all of the providers. Um, and, you know, one of the reasons I do think that I have been successful in this role is because I started off working with providers from the get-go as a medical assistant, right? So these guys did not intimidate me at all. Like, I didn't have any trouble asking them questions and talking to them about things. Um, anyway, so, yeah, pediatric otolaryngology um, for these providers at the School of Medicine. And that's where I started coding. And they said, you have a year and you need to get certified, Again, this was all news to me. I was like, oh, there's certifications for this. Who knew? Uh, but they paid for my AAPC membership. Um, they paid for my test. I did a self-study, pretty much. Um, and I passed the CPC. And so I just went with that for a while. Um, and I honestly, I loved it. I loved it right from the get-go. I just... I couldn't imagine anything like I, it was just an interesting, fun job. And I got very good at what I did, but it was just otolaryngology, right? Um, and so my bosses kind of were like, well, we could sure use her in some other areas. And so I kind of got pushed, 
well, I, I mean, pushed is the wrong word, but encouraged to move up and advance. Um, so after coding otolaryngology for a few years, I moved into what they called a coding analyst role. And I did a little bit of auditing. That was my kind of first experience with auditing. And they also started, um, they got a claim scrubbing program. And so they uh, had the small group of uh, uh, us analysts working in these claims edits and making sure the logic was okay and, um, you know, writing new edits that we needed specific to our facility, which maybe didn't come out of the box with the claim scrubbing software. Um, and I thought that was kind of an interesting, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, pulling up an op report and coding it. It was really looking at the logic and are things built correctly. Um, you know, does this diagnosis really match this procedure code? It made me take a really critical, hard look at correct coding. And between that and the auditing, like that started to interest me more. And I did that for a few years. And then I realized I wanted to advance my career, but I didn't want to supervise people. I didn't want to manage people. Um, just, I, no, I didn't want to deal with the HR stuff, the, the personnel that, you know, that bit of it. I, you know, I could have helped in a leadership role for coding and coding questions, but I didn't want to supervise. Therefore, the only other direction to advance in my company was to join the audit and compliance and education department. Um, so that's what I ultimately did, but it was a really hard decision. At that point in my life, I um, had a lot of trouble public speaking. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and presenting. And like I I almost I almost couldn't do it. It was such a fear of mine. Um, but I really wanted to advance my job and I just, I got my CPMA at that point. I was like, well, let me start with that, right? I can get my CPMA. And I kind of started like reading books and, you know, just reading and watching YouTube videos about how to public speak and present because I knew in that audit compliance education role, I would have to give education sessions. I knew it. And so I just, and even to get the job, you have to give a presentation. It was a panel interview. So I had to give a presentation and, you know, um, it was, you know, people that I'd known, you know, and dealt with for many years, but um, I just, I did it. I just, I don't know where I got the courage, but I just, you know, coached myself and I just thought it's 15 minutes. You can do anything for 15 minutes just and i picked modifiers for my presentation and what's really funny about that is um they said you have to present for 15 minutes on a topic of your choice my mind went has to be something job related medical coding modifiers diagnosis coding something um, so i picked modifiers and i did my presentation on modifiers um, i built it i memorized it i presented it in front of the mirror <laughs> a hundred bazillion times. Like, I just, I was just, I didn't want to freeze up and forget anything. I wanted to sound natural. Um, so that's what I did. And anyway, they hired me mm. long story short into that role. The funny thing is, is whenever we had interviews with other people to join the team after I was on the team, everybody picked some kind of fun topic 
to do their presentation on baseball, hiking, um, haunted ghost stories about Denver. And I was like, oh, you literally meant I could pick a topic of my choice. <laughs> and everybody had picked something fun after that. I was like, well, okay. So I'm just all business-minded. Um, but I was in that job for a few years. And again, I enjoyed it. And, you know, there was auditor one, auditor two, auditor three, senior auditor. You know, there were positions to move up into um, without having to supervise or manage. Um, but then I knew about the job I have with Haugen Consulting Group. Um, one of my teammates actually, or two of my teammates, went to work for Haugen while I was working there. And um, they, uh, they have kind of two sides of the business, profi and facility. And that's what I started in was profi. That's what I do is profi. I am trying to learn. I'm going to sit for the CCS this year. I, I do want to learn Good. facility. But um, their profi business was growing, growing, growing. And so I hi they um, my old coworker referred me to them, said, hey, do you want to do some per diem with them? Sure. And so I did that. And they got busy enough to have a, you know, a full FTE that they needed. And so I thought, this is a good move for me. It's flexible. I can work from home, which I've always wanted to do. I could work from home sometimes with my other job. Um, but it was, and of course, campus is right up the street. So, I mean, I had to go there a lot. Um, so I have a lot more flexibility. I get to work from home. I have learned in the last year of being a consultant so much. And it's, I enjoy, I've gone out to different clients, um, you know, Washington, California, and, you know, I go out there and, you know, build a relationship and I, I can help them out. What I really like is going in as a consultant role, your client or your audience is so grateful and they love the information you're providing versus where I was the audit compliance department for the school of medicine they didn't like us they didn't want to hear what we had to say so you go present your education to a one of their your departments and they're just like oh it's them and you know they don't want to listen to you and, or argue with you and it was horrible it was very hard that would that would get very difficult but now you go out they've asked you to come out they want to hear what you have to say they're receptive to it they're grateful for it and i mean and also, ultimately, at the end of the day, I can give them the best advice with every resource that I have. And I don't work for them. It's up to them what they do with the information. I don't have to sit there two weeks later and think, well, they didn't listen to me. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to be frustrated. So it's a completely different perspective. And um, it's, it, was, it put a new passion in me for my work, for sure, moving into this role. Um, I've always been passionate about about coding and I'm a, definitely a coding geek because I love it. It's so interesting. It's like a puzzle, but I was, I think it was time for me to move up and a change. And again, I'm just all fired up and passionate about it again. And it's exciting. All the different clients I get to work with and the different things people are doing and yeah. 
Well, you just pretty much gave the whole story. We could end the podcast right now. <laughs> I'm just that, kidding. That was it. That was in a nutshell. <laughs> that was a great answer to that first question. And as you were writing, I was looking at some places where I can kind of uh, open the door with questioning, right? So take it back over to when you were in the medical assisting, right? So when you were a medical assistant, you mentioned that while the surgeons were out and about, of course, doing their procedures, uh, you were, uh, I guess, involved in the coding process. And and I felt that when you mentioned that, you're like, okay, well, that to me or to you uh, kind of sparked the interest, interest in coding. So what when you were doing it, what exactly was it that that uh, that kind of sparked your interest? Like, oh, this is really cool. Like, as you mentioned, I could do this as a job, even though you didn't know about it. But there is the availability. <laughs> but what is it that that you did in that moment or those moments uh, that sparked your interest? So I really liked the research part of it. The so yes, you have your op report. It, it's a laparoscopic cholecystectomy. Okay. Well, then, but you still have to read it. And did they do anything else? And then, you know, you go to your CPT book. Everything was in the book back then. Um, and, okay, so find the code. Okay, that's the code. And then does this really seem like what they did? And then, you know what? They also did um, a hernia repair. Well, that was it. So that's something else that we can bill. And I got really good at... Um, because I did all their prior authorizations. And after coding a few, realizing I didn't auth for that, I didn't auth for that, I got really good at coaching them saying, okay, this is the main procedure you're doing, but what else do they have? Because you need to give me every option so that I can come up with the code for it. Um, and I really liked the diagnosis coding. Um, very often they would have, you know, yeah, they have their post-op diagnosis and their pre-op diagnosis. Um, but then you would find things definitively called out within the op report that needed to be coded as well. And so it was that whole dissection abstraction piece of it that I could just really focus in on. And I found it super interesting. I'd also, I also liked how much more it was, I was learning about anatomy, physiology, disease process. Um, and, and so I really like that piece too. So in your medical assisting position you already have the i guess the 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 somewhat of an advantage in terms of your uh, physiology and anatomy you were applying that you saw the code you're like oh okay well i could see it there it's nice to see when i i, I usually do you know again speaking engagements where when you code something you can see it or you can appreciate it uh and i, I think in that moment you saw it like oh that's what it looks like in a number, and these numbers mm -hmm. make a big impact. And and you mentioned the authorizations, and it feels like you you're in a role where um, you have the ability to. I don't want to say control physicians. <laughs> I don't want to say control them, but you can guide them and assist them. Uh, it, so that way they can efficiently do their work, but also get reimbursed as well uh, on the reimbursement side. You know, that's, yeah, it's it's a really great point because physicians, as smart as they are, don't quite understand that. And that's when that started to hit. Like, they need me. Mm -hmm. They need this help. Mm -hmm. They do. Um, and once you explain it to them, like, oh, hey, well, if you do this and you tell me you're going to do this ahead of time or you document this we can code for that. And they loved that feedback. 
Yeah, and usually when their eyes open, like, really? And <laughs> they, they're very grateful uh, for that information. I, I'm very amused as how you found your the, the, the first coding position. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. I love telling people that. <laughs> the current state of finding a job. I can't believe how how streamless you know it is. Where you can go to you know websites such as Indeed. Um, what's the other one? Um, oh, there's to, a monster. Monster and... used to be monster career builder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all you have to do is just search and you find it. But in your time, I don't want to date you, but, <laughs> but go for it. But uh, I know. You know, when you you have to go out and, you know, I, I you know, I was in college before the pre-internet days and and to find. So for me to find a job, it had to be either word of mouth or on the newspaper. And, mm -hmm. you know, for you, for the luck of the draw of you to find how big. So just kind of in the camera, how big was the ad? Was it like. <laughs> <laughs> OK. Oh, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. This, so, so for those that are listening. Oh. This is what I tab my CPT book with. This this might even be a little big. Wow. <laughs> it was just the tiny little meta and it said medical coder. And mm -hmm. I again I wasn't looking to my knowledge, I wasn't looking for a job. So why I was even in the job ads, I mm -hmm. don't know. Mm -hmm. Oh wow. <laughs> so it just kinda popped out and you're like, Okay, let me give it a shot. Yeah. Wow. I'm like, and I, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't even sure if it was what I thought it was. Mm -hmm. I mean, I never heard medical coder before. Yeah, when I when I first have heard heard of medical coding, uh, back in college, uh, this was back in I'd like to say before the two thousand before yeah before two thousand I graduated in two thousand three so before then, um, I was in the the process of going into nursing school well that didn't work because I didn't pass microbiology anyway somebody somebody in the nursing program told me who is who, who wrapped it up I says well you know there's medical coding I said what there's medical coding what the what is that and um and when somebody tells me a new position I want to see what the availability is and so where did I go I grabbed the uh, I used to live in Miami, so I grabbed the Miami Herald and I looked around. I'm like, wow, there's a there's a lot of positions there. Uh, so there's a great opportunity. And I think that kind of rolled me into into health information management and the, the story is kind of history. Uh, so to find information nowadays, it, it's 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 remarkable. So which then comes to my next thing is sending the information uh, where we were now, it's just a matter of either LinkedIn, uh, email, but then fax. <laughs> how did that work? Like, you know, uh, how did that here's work for the, you? Yeah. And here's the really bad thing is I didn't have a fax machine at home. I faxed <laughs> that resume from my current job. So how did you do it? How did, how, how, what was the, what was the process or, or the, the journey for you to, to send that, that, uh, the resume over? Yeah, it's just, I did it at my lunch hour at the office and just pretended like I was faxing <laughs> some kind of medical record over to the hospital. And, uh, I, you know, I typed, you know, I had my resume printed out on word and brought it in to the office and popped that baby in there. Cause the fax number was in the newspaper ad. So I just sent it, um, no cover letter anything oh so you you didn't you didn't call them you just no it there was no phone number to call it was <laughs> medical code oh <laughs> <goodness. laughs> 
<laughs> no, there was no phone number. It was fax your resume, uh, and like I guess if it fit, they would call you. And wow. I mean, I, I would. I know. I and I got a call very quickly, like early the next day. Mm-hmm. Let's take a moment for a quick break. And now back to our show. So back then it was okay. But if you tell me that now, like, okay, I see a position with a fax number. (laughs) (laughs) No No way. Weird, right? So you're sending off. So so I'm curious then, because (laughs) what was on your resume that was there any demographic information? Of course, there's a phone number. But what did you put on your resume that you look back now? That like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I put that on there. My resume back then had, I think it had my name, my address. Oh my God. (laughs) A phone number and an email. Uh Yep, I think it did. Well, the email's okay. I'm almost sure it did. The phone number's okay, but the address, mm, I don't know, you know? Yeah. But but then that was before the internet age, because I guess what we're worried about now is people taking information and it could spread really fast. So even if somebody would have tried to take your information back then, they'd have to fax it to, <laughs> to somebody. <laughs> or I don't know, fifty six k internet was back, was okay back then. But but yeah, the, yeah. The, and identity theft wasn't a thing that I yeah. thought of for yeah. sure when I did that. Yeah. <laughs> so when you told me fax, sending somebody, my information out for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's an interesting story. I, I like those kinds of stories. One of the things too that about that whole process is funny and antiquated as it is. I don't know of any company now that would hire someone like me mm-hmm. again with zero experience. Correct. Zero. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know there was a such thing as medical coding and they hired me and allowed me to train there. Yeah. Now, I most clients or companies I work with, you have to have school. Yeah. You have got to school for it. You have to be certified. So, um as funny and antiquated that is, I got very lucky, I yeah. think. It was the same way for me and I always tell the story uh with clinical documentation integrity. Uh, I mean, I had the education, but nowadays you have to have some form of clinic, clinical prowess, like an RN. Um, but I only had my RHIA and they gave me an opportunity. So uh, it, it goes to show that way back then in terms of the, how would I say, the competitive nature uh, or the demand was high, but then there was so much so I don't know if there wasn't enough supply. There was not enough supply, so they bring in anybody. So nowadays, now we have a lot of supply, a lot of certified coders, and the competition is going to go up. So the same thing with coders. It's all about if you have a certification, yes. And I see it a lot as I run the uh, Medical Coding Geeks Facebook group. Everybody's getting a certification. Everybody's getting a certification. And and they're, I guess, expecting a position right out of getting a certification. And they always post, hey, I, got, I just got certified. Where can I find a job? I'm like, okay, great. Uh, that's what everybody is asking. Uh, but right now, it's a matter of where do you stack up amongst the rest of everybody else that is the same boat as you? And when you look at hiring managers, they, they are looking for somebody who can stand out. So that's something to to kind of think about. So you went. So what kind of? So I'm sorry. What kind of surgeries were you doing in your first uh, 
Before you became into your first coding position, what kind of surgeries were you doing? So the two surgeons, they were just general surgeons. So um, abdominal, a lot of um, colectomies, lap appies, uh, gallbladder. Uh, they did some like uh, cardiothoracic. They would do open ab- ab- abdominal aortic aneurysm repairs. Um, they did do some breast, like oncology stuff for that. So they were more of a, just a general oh, got surgeon. It, got it. Okay. So then you move into more, a, a more specific, uh, specialty into auto larynx. Can you say it? <laughs> auto larynx. How about ENT? ENT? Pediatric ENT for, for that matter. <laughs> yeah. Right. So uh-huh. how was that? How, how did that, I guess you, from your transition from a general, surgery to more of a specific body site and more specific um age range how did you make that transition um a lot of self-study so i had no experience with procedures on the ears nose mouth throat um at all um i will say that they did a lot of tonsillectomies and a lot of pressure tubes pe tubes in the ears a lot so I learned those, and I could at least get those out. And then I would kind of muddle through the other stuff. Um, at that point, there were not a lot of resources or things or people available to help me. Um, another reason I think I have been successful in my, in my career is a lack of having some training and support and having to do it all myself. I've become very self-sufficient and able to do that. But... So I got good at my tonsillectomies, adenoidectomies, and PE tubes. I could at least keep business going for them by coding those. And then I'd get some weird, you know, um, bronchoscopy or um, a tympanoplasty type of thing. And I'd have to sit there, and then that would take me a few hours. Like, okay, what's a stapoid? What is this? And I'd have to look up every single thing in the computer and, you know, the dictionary and figure out what it was to even come close to trying to find the right CPT code for it. Um, it was time consuming, labor intensive, but rewarding. And ultimately, I'd figure it out. And I also had a really good group of providers that were so excited to have someone there. Um, that they would answer a lot of questions for me. And so, and, and, and so that's how that went. And I would say within a year, I could do everything they did. And so then it was just like, yep, checking boxes, you know, uh, functional or FES, endoscopic sinus surgeries. Those were fun. Um, and I got good at those. Um, so cleft palate, I got to dabble in that stuff. Um, so uh, just a lot of time and effort and research. Lots of anatomy books. (laughs) I I can relate, especially when you're moving from one specialty to the next. And then you mentioned the the start off with what you know or start start off with the cases that are repetitive. Mm -hmm. Right. So Mm -hmm. when you uh, see cases day by day, those are the ones that you learn real fast Mm -hmm. and those become, I guess, your your baseline, your baseline learning. And as you branch out, because I do a lot of teaching where um, especially when you utilize mind maps, your center is your main component, and then you kind of branch out into different areas that you're of the unknown. 
And as you're learning them, you're kind of branching out even further. So uh, it sounded like it to me, like in your years uh, in the ENT, pediatric ENT surgery, uh, that you were branching. You start off with a major, a, a very basic core and you kind of worked your way through. And I'm sure you were still learning at that point. I'm still uh, learning today. Different type, yeah, still different surgeries, right? So you, I'm sure you're... Your base is, you know, it used to be kind of very small, and now it, it's kind of expanded out really wide uh, in terms of the different specialties. It's the same way with me with CDI. You know, I started off with med surge, and then they gave me an ortho neuro, they gave me trauma ICU, they gave me cardiac surgery, open heart. You know, uh, and for you, to, for anybody who starts off as a coder, the real idea in terms of growth is kind of tackling on another specialty, tackling on another specialty. So that way, it's easy to transition from one specialty to the next, regardless if it's CDI, even if it's, uh, you know, profi coding or even facility coding, always understanding the different specialties as you move forward. And I've always interviewed people who uh, kind of made those transitions really fast. Now, let's t- move into your auditing role. So, the one thing that intrigued me is the public speaking. <laughs> so I have lots oh, of questions. Um, again, it, it wasn't until uh, I mean I've I've been I've been speaking for for quite some time, uh, not on the public speaking stage, but before anything, before I even was a CDI, I was a t- I was an adjunct instructor, and. To teach, I guess one of the one of the I was in the same situation as you. Um, do a presentation to faculty of a of a university. <laughs> so I had people from IT, criminal justice, um, health services administration, and I don't remember what I did, but I I, I probably had to do a presentation on coding. So that I I, I you know you got to do something that you're so familiar with. And you kind of grasp with it, and that's what you do, and and they're like, oh, that's pretty cool. And what is that? And of course, the questions come in, and then they ask, you know, what afterwards, uh, the questions after your presentation, and they they're very intrigued. So I kind of I, I, <laughs> I related with that uh, totally. So this comes to my question. We've had a, we've had um we've had a previous guest. Oh gosh, I forgot her name, but anyways, her. In order for her to, I guess one of the one of the criteria for getting your CPCI is doing an actual education session. So she had to prepare herself. She had to do you know the the session in front of her family, and then just had to do it in front of her colleagues, and they had to write some type of survey. So could you elaborate a little bit more on your? preparation process for the public speaking yeah so again it was <laughs> <laughs> sounds overwhelming it was, Sounded overwhelming. It was. i mean it, ultimately at one point you just have to just just bear down and do it but mm-hmm. i had to like well, I let said, me ask this question before 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 you did this have you had any public speaking experience before this? No. Nope. Okay. So here's the next question. Uh, have you, did you do like, you know, like an elementary school, you had to go on stage. Did you have any, some form of stage fright? So I, yes. Oh, this is hilarious. So <laughs> I had to take speech in high school and I got so nervous. I started to giggle mm-hmm. and I couldn't <laughs> stop and I got kicked out. <laughs> there 
there. That was my whole public speaking Same, experience. I think that's what traumatized you, right? Probably. I think well, for for my for my daughter, she she took speech, um, and this was in the midst of me teaching everything. And she came to me. She says, "I have to do a speech." I said, "Okay, let me hear it." And and I, I I took out I took out the phone and I'm just laying in the bed and I actually have this recorded so I, I took the phone and I said go ahead start so when she started all of a sudden she started she started to to cry oh. I'm like why are you crying so when you tell me you giggle I was expecting you to cry but then you you're telling me you giggle but my daughter she cried and um, oh, bad <laughs> so she I said How, you can't. Oh, I said, what is it that that is that is triggering this? I guess she's afraid, and I gave her the advice as, look, just just speak what you know, and just just because she, I guess for people who try to speak, they they their first instinct is to go by the script, right? Go by the script. If they mess up the script, then that's where they break down, and and I've always uh, was a person where. I, I have an idea what I need to say, but if I get on script, I will get nervous. And there was one time, I think it was one of the Florida Health Information Management Conferences. It was my first one, actually. And and the night before in the hotel, I was I was writing the outline. I had all the, the slides ready to go, but I was writing everything that I needed to say. The day of, I just went, I just <laughs> threw it in the garbage and I said, let's, let's just go. Uh, so... I think that was the midst of that. I told her, "Look, don't don't be afraid. Just kind of say what you have to say." And you know, I think what she was worried about, and I think probably what most people are worried about, is what the other people are thinking. Mm-hmm. And so when you when you get rid of that thought, then it kind of goes away. Like they're they're here to listen to you. You're not there to see what they have to react. So she, so when she did it, actually, she she did it again. She cried, but then she needed somebody. I guess the teacher. Um, knew of an easy, easy fix so she grabbed one of her friends and her friend stood with her next to her and it, it made it so much easier so she was able to it's kind of like you know the the training wheels situation so she needed to have somebody next to her and uh and and it allowed her to to kind of go through the presentation very smoothly without crying so that, that was the, <laughs> the idea so in your instance you were giggling so I guess you can kind of continue on with your how did you prepare for that public speaking for your auditing role? Yeah, so I, I like I said, I put together the material uh, modifiers because of my work on um, the claim scrubbing audit or editing software. There was a lot of modifier errors. So I got really good at profi modifier use. So that's what I did my presentation on. So I was comfortable because I knew the subject. I was com- more comfortable because I put together the presentation but I'm not kidding you. I can't, I rehearsed that thing in front of the mirror weeks every day in advance until I knew it by heart. So I knew if I got off script, I, I could, I more or less had it memorized. Mm-hmm. Um, and I completely agree with what you're saying because that yeah. was my, I would have to script out what I would say and I, or I couldn't function, but it would never go smoothly and I'd get herky jerky and yeah. mess up and get, uh frozen and so (laughs) while i will script it now it's talking points oh yeah Yeah. i need to mention this and then it's i flow with it in my own words and Mm -hmm. over the years it's gotten easier and easier and Mm -hmm. easier and the other thing is is 
you know, being able to public speak onto a subject that you know is different than interacting in maybe a social situation because I know this material. I'm the expert. You guys are here to listen to me. And it kind of flips the dynamic in my mind and makes it much easier. I, you know, I don't feel as awkward and it just, but it's taken years. And one thing that I, that, um, that at least from public speaking, but now podcasting that I'm going to kind of share with you that, uh, that has helped me with, with, uh, interacting with people is when you're out there with a group of people, I think the most important thing is to listen. Right. So listen to what they have to say. And as I was mentioning, I'm writing a whole bunch of notes for you. And I'm like, OK, wh- what are some of the points that I can kind of like, ah, OK, let me get in there and kind of see if she can elaborate that. Or or maybe there was something in there that, OK, I can relate and make a comment on. So, you know, especially with well, now we can't even do it now with the coronavirus with conferences. I was hoping to do a whole bunch of them, but I was hoping to, you know, with, with what I learned from from doing podcasting is, again, listening but then catching some of the things that I can relate on or speak on or carry a conversation with. And that has helped out tremendously. So that relates into also the this public speaking gig because the same format applies. I will speak a topic, but then I will... I will also add in something that they can relate with or maybe an analogy that they can relate with and then put it together and then continue on to the next point. So those are some of the things that are that are really cool that I kind of kind of developed. Now, let's talk about the the Haugen Consulting Group. So you came in. Well, you're, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile. So you, you just got in with uh, the Haugen Consulting Group, right? Yeah. And um what was the process of you getting hired with that group? Now, I know you mentioned that some of your colleagues um, were were in the role. So you kind of kind of, I guess, were, were brought in. But how is it that you were like kind of introduced to the mission and vision of the Haugen Consulting Group? From what I understand and when I spoke with Mary Haugen, uh, I'm sorry, Mary Beth, <laughs> because because when I when I interviewed her, I called her Mary, and then she's like, "Who's that?" She didn't really. She's like, "Who's that?" Oh, I go by Mary Beth. <laughs> like, okay. So one of the things that she told me was, uh, "Fun is non-negotiable." That's one of her biggest things that she promoted. So how do you feel? You it sounds like an interview question. <laughs> how did you How did you feel transitioning into your auditing role? Because I. I one of the things that I that I've seen a um, a trend in in terms of a career ladder is is always starting off with a coder start as a coder position and and you kind of work your way through the knowledge ranks in terms of specific coding specialized coding and then you talk about auditing uh, and then usually the question after that is well what's the next step after auditing and of course you didn't want to go into management I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't blame you at all. I could tell you stories about that, but that'll take a long time. But, you know, moving in and you mentioned education, you know, consulting. That's the biggest thing I think is another is another avenue. So, you know, when you look at from coding to auditing, you're overseeing somebody else's work and then moving into, well, how can you 
how can you branch into other ways? Well, management can be one of them, but then consulting can be another. Usually the, the usually the premise is like, okay, well, if it's management, then consulting. But no, it's usually, you know, kind of like split at the fork once you have overseen other people's coding processes. Mm-hmm. So going again, I'm going off off topic here, but going back to the mm-hmm. Haugen, Haugen Consulting Group with their, with their fund is non-negotiable. How did you feel going from the auditing role into the consulting role? And how did you fit into their dynamic of, that of that of their mission or or their phrase fund is non-negotiable yeah so they so when i was with my um school of medicine job my boss and my co one of my teammates both knew um of haugen and haugen pretty much had no profi side of the business and they wanted to start that side of the business. So my my manager at that time went to join them to help build that part of their business. And then my teammate went. And then and so then that was a couple of years of building. Again, they got so busy that they my then manager that now worked for Haugen was like, Hey, why don't you come do some per diem for us? You know, because we had a really good relationship. She knew I did good work. Um, so I met with them and yeah they're just easygoing laid back smart um i am so impressed with the team that i have there at haugen i call them the haugen hive mind and there is nothing that between all of us we couldn't figure out and it's so awesome to be i feel like they're the elite i don't feel like i'm elite but they are and it's an honor to be a part of them. And they make a huge effort to, um, they do get togethers, barbecues. Um, they have a really good holiday party. With all this COVID stuff, we can't meet in person. So at least every couple of weeks they do like virtual, we do a virtual game night. And, and they really try to push a dynamic of, um, let's be personal. And I'm just, it's, it was hard for me at first because I came from a corporate world to this smaller company where they do care about each other. They are a family. Um, I also bumbled along on the business side of it because my whole coding experience was at one company, 15 years, a little over 15 years in one place. So moving into a consultant role and realizing, oh, okay, that was them. Nobody else does things that way necessarily. Not that that was wrong, but every client or every state has different rules and do th- does things differently. That was a hurdle I had to overcome. But there, my leadership at Haugen is nothing but loving and compassionate. Um, and even if you maybe could have done something better with a client, like, oh, I, you know, she's like, we get better every time we do this, we learn. And it just, I was like, oh, I took a deep breath and was you know, okay, I'm supported, I'm cared about, and, you know, and you do. I I mean, in the year, a little over a year that I've been with them, um, I know so much more than I did when I first started and what being a consultant really means. It's like what – we have a lot of questions we have to ask you as a client before we even know how we can help you. I'm sure we can, but – so it's it's very interesting. And it's just, like I said, they're – they're loving and they're compassionate and just support us in ways I couldn't even have imagined. But I didn't get in the corporate world. Yeah, I, I like I like how the, you mentioned the the support. I think that's that is key, not just at the Haugen Consulting Group, of course, but but in in any 
team dynamic, right? So if you're part of a team, it's it's you're, you're, the team should be whole. And and I think the idea of you know the the parts being let's say for example like coders or managers, supervisors, whatever it may be, uh, are expendable. That's that's not how it works in terms of the you know. In, would you just claim to explain to me? with the Halligan Consulting Group. So one of the things that I definitely uh, like to see, you know, in, in a group is the support, but then definitely layers of support, you know, when you look at the how, if you have a question, right, you know, where does it go? How does it escalate? Does it get answered? Do you get the support that you need? And you also mentioned if you, if you could have done something better, maybe that's another way of saying it. You made a mistake or something. I know, shocking, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> Even if it's, you know, it, it, it does happen in oh, every yes. level of the game of coding or whatever industry. You mis- make mistakes along the way, and I think what's most important is if 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 a team member makes a mistake, it's not about okay, you did this wrong, you shouldn't have done this, but really the dynamic should be, or the, the method or the the approach should be, well, you did it this way, it should have gone this way. Or uh, maybe let's teach you how to get this way so that way you can be better. And that's usually the at least the best way of managing your employees, your consultants in a way. Uh, so that way, you, I guess, you know, you you yourself feel better. And I mean, gosh, I remember, the, you know, I, I still get audits and I'm like, oh, you know, you beat yourself up about it and and uh, you feel down and and you have that slump, the funk, whatever it may be. But then you look at yourself and you're like, OK, well, I need to get better because I have, you know, I've identified something that's wrong with me or something not with me, but what I have done in my work. I want to put it that way. Uh, but and then but you have to improve. And I, I like that dynamic of how. Uh, the Halkin Consulting Group is is very supportive. All right, so can you believe we're at fifty three minutes? <laughs> wow, I had no idea yes, yeah. me. <laughs> so let me. So here's. So let's go back to the to the question that I wanted to ask you. So this is your very. I mean, for most people, it is their very first podcasting interview. But because we were just. I mean, literally yesterday, just you were going to be on an interview. How do you feel now? Um, this was actually pretty fun. And you're awesome. You ask really good questions and get me thinking about things and make it super easy for me to speak to it. And so I appreciate that. Like, yeah. So you're a really good facilitator. <laughs> so it's fun. So I did the, um, which one that I did? I did HealthCon, right? So I, I could have done a presentation by myself. Uh, but I brought on, uh, of course, Jeff White, who was a previous podcast guest, and it was so much fun. And, and so f- I'm doing uh, the HEMA one, but I wish I had somebody to co-speak with. So like usually anybody who I interview, it could be you maybe next time, uh, where I feel like if I had a good... Um, if I had a good chemistry with the person that I was working with, hey, you know what? Maybe next time we do a speaking engagement, I'm going to in, uh, bring on somebody. And and it goes back to my daughter, right? So it goes back to my daughter where she was afraid of doing some of these speaking engagements. It was always nice to have somebody next to you. So I feel the same way. I think I, I, as much as I can do it by myself, I think it's, it's so much better when you have somebody along. Surprisingly, let me tell you this. When I do podcast episodes by myself... It's not 50 minutes long. I could only go 30 minutes 
Seriously. <laughs> so everything kind of runs out, you know, within 30. I'm like, oh, that was it? 30 minutes? Okay, so now I have to end the podcast. So that that is usually how it kind of runs. But it's nice to, again, uh, bounce ideas off uh, off of each other. And, and you, I like the way you say you, you kind of self-realize, uh, you know, in that moment, in that situation, uh, what you're really thinking back then. All right, so. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Let's ask the final two questions. The first final question would be, what does the future hold for you? Oh, my. Well, um, hopefully a long, many, uh, many long years, maybe until retirement, to be a Halgen consultant and working with more clients. Um, I definitely want to get the CCS and um, learn the facility piece as well as the profi, not only to make me a better asset to Haugen, but, you know, even to expand my worth for them, you know, I could, you know, give input on both sides of the house. And I think that it's important to continue learning in life. And I don't see any point of getting any other, because I also have my orthopedic surgery coding certification. And I just don't really feel the need to get any other AAPC certifications. It's not helping. So I thought, well, let's get involved in HEMA and, you know, expand my knowledge that way. So that's 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 where I'd like to see my life go for my coding and consulting career. For me, it's like it's it's the opposite. For um, so you you're going from AAPC to AHIMA. I'd like to go from AHIMA to AAPC. Why? Because I've been doing a lot. I mean, again, I have my RHIA, my CDIP. Um, I am going to work on my CCS too. <laughs> I might as well. I have the time. But um, but after engaging with a lot of the AAPC community, I'm like, you know what? Let me let me kind of dabble because in, in my my specialty is CDI facility. So I've been doing a lot of that. And so when people like yourself talk about the the profi side, the physician side, the CPT, which I have never touched. I mean, I've touched it, but I I mean, I've never went on a deep on a deep dive. It, it intrigues me. At least, I guess the idea of the thirst for knowledge. Like, what does that look like? How, how if I worked with it, what 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 does it involve? And and at least to have that very basic knowledge and working with that. So again, for me, it's kind of like okay, let me get my CCS and then kind of jump over to APC and see what what that can do for me. Because I hear a lot, especially when you're talking about like, for example, risk adjustment surgeries. E and M's is something that I would love to. To kind of dabble in, I know I, I know the clinical documentation piece, but I don't know the coding piece. So I'm, I myself kind of feel like the physician, like okay, what does it look like in translation and coding? So I would love to get into E and M and kind of work what I know in CDI and 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 the facility to work my way into that. All right, so let's go into the last question. What best words of advice do you have to give for our audience? Uh, stay humble and teachable. Uh, for sure. Um, just like we talked about, you're going to make a mistake. I make mistakes still to this day. Um, you're going to get corrected on it. It's okay. And if you're ever on the other opposite side where you're correcting someone else, be gentle. It's not that they're wrong or they're bad. It's like you said, oh, well, actually you did it that way, but actually it should be like this. It doesn't need to be punitive um, or anything like that. It's all in your approach. But uh, at the same time, you yourself have to stay humble and teachable because as soon as, for me, I'm going to speak soon, be, I'll be cocky about it. That's when I uh, make a mistake and I will get called out on it and I have to humble myself back down and be like, yes, okay, I thought I knew what I was doing and I went through it too quickly and I missed that kind of thing. So. 
So there you have it. That is my interview with Deanna Upston. If you want to learn more about Deanna and the Halkin Consulting Group, you can go to anchor.fm slash NEC podcast where I post a lot of the links. Also, again, make sure to go to the halgengroup.com. Check out their services and products and webinars and use our special promo code G-E-E-K-1-5. That's geek 15 for a special discount. Lastly, I want to give a shout out to Kate Klugline, the marketing manager who set up the interview for this podcast. MedicalCodingGeek.com